Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. We've all heard of heart disease, kidney disease, liver disease, and lung disease. But what about our brain? Can it get sick like the rest of us? And if it does, can we return it to a healthy state? I can think of no better person to address this question than Christian psychiatrist Dr. Tim Jennings, who joins us today via Skype. Dr. Jennings, if we want a healthier brain, what should we do? All right, let's go through 10 steps that we can do to help our brains be healthy and stay healthy. Good, good. First, one, regular sleep. For an adult, seven to eight hours a night of regular sleep. About one-third of Americans are sleep-deprived, chronically sleep-deprived. And not only does it impair immediate function when you're sleep-deprived, the part of the brain where you reason, problem-solve, think, and actually calm your moods, is immediately undermined the next day. It's not working as well, so you're going to have attention problems and forgetfulness and distractibility if you're sleep-deprived. But the brain is 2 to 3% of the body mass, but it uses 20% of the body's energy, which high metabolic use of energy means it creates lots of waste products as it burns that energy. And it's during sleep that the brain cells contract and expel those waste products that have built up during all that activity during the day and clear it out of our brain. If we're chronically sleep-deprived, we don't clear those waste products effectively. Over the years, they build up, and people who are chronically sleep-deprived have higher rates of dementia as they age. So it's not only immediately functionally impairing, it's harmful to our brains to be sleep-deprived. All right, regular sleep, number two. Number two is regular exercise, both physical and mental exercise. 35% of Americans are obese, and obesity is a highly inflammatory state, and people who don't exercise are more likely to have obesity, which undermines both brain health and physical health. Further, when we exercise regularly, there are multiple proteins that are produced in our brain that cause the brain cells to stay healthy and sprout new connections so we can learn more and and our brains stay healthier. When we are sedentary and don't exercise, then we can have atrophy or shriveling or at least not sprouting as quickly so it can be harder to learn. So regular exercise, both physical and mental exercise, uh, learning new material, turns on genes that keep our brain healthy. Also, regular exercise is anti-inflammatory. It produces factors in our brain that reduce inflammation, improve insulin sensitivity. Our metabolism improves. We use uh, insulin better. Thus, adults with type 2 diabetes, when they begin exercise, they will have better control of that. And eventually, if they lose the weight and stuff, they can actually have it resolved. All right. Very good. Exercise, sleep, and what? Hydration. Water is the single largest component of the human body, comprising well more than half of our body weight. Every cell requires water. Water is essential for functioning of the cells, for the uh, chemical reactions that happen, for the movement of molecules throughout our body. Dehydration shrinks the actual individual cells, and as the cells shrink, their functions are impaired. More oxidative stress occurs. We can't rid ourselves of body toxins and waste products. Average adults should drink eight eight eight-ounce glasses of water every day. And if you're exercising vigorously, then you need to drink more in a hot human environments to stay hydrated. All right. Very good. Number four of health brain. 
healthy diet, meaning choosing foods that are anti-inflammatory. Two diets have been shown in multiple studies to result in better brain volume and cognitive and memory performance. And those are either the whole food vegetarian or, or vegan diet or vegetable diet or the Mediterranean diet, which is high in fish oils and olive oil. And both of those are healthy for the brain and have good outcomes compared to the typical American diet. You want to avoid lots of foods. And notice I say lots of foods, not Nobody's going to avoid it completely, yeah. but lots of foods that are high in sugar, high in saturated fats, fast food, junk food, boxed food, bagged food. These types of foods are highly inflammatory. And this high inflammatory state may be one factor in differentiating people who have bad outcomes from the COVID infection from those who have good outcomes. We know that the virus itself doesn't seem to be what's causing the bad outcomes, but the virus triggers an inflammatory response where people have a cytokine storm and the body's response with high inflammation damages lung tissues and vascular tissue. And this contributes to the bad outcome for many of the people. People who are highly inflamed already before they get the infection may in fact be more vulnerable and closer to that, that edge. So when the cytokine storm comes, they their body overreacts and can't handle it. Whereas people who are exercise regularly, normal weight, healthy diet are much more likely to have a good outcome from the infection than those that are highly inflamed. Wow. I can think of no better time to become healthy listener than right now when we have this COVID-19 stalking our steps. Okay, number five toward our 10 steps to the healthier brain. Right, so we want to avoid toxins things that are actually toxic substances and harmful to us, like tobacco. It's, uh, it's amazing to me how many people are using tobacco and or tobacco replacement products, starting vaping and, and some of these things. We I think we heard right before the COVID, the crisis of the vaping thing, uh, and all the people and the young people who are being hospitalized with lung disease from vaping. You notice how that's completely fallen off of our radar yes, because yeah. of the COVID, but that was a big deal and they were really tracking it. So uh, avoid heavy alcohol use. And if you want to talk about the whole alcohol thing, because some people say, well, how about one to two glasses of wine? One for a woman a day, two for a man a day. The data shows that there's no benefit in the alcohol, the ethanol in the wine. The benefit from wine comes from the molecules that give it color the various anti-inflammatory molecules in there from the grapes themselves. And so you get the same anti-inflammatory benefit from the polyphenols that are in there from drinking grape juice. But if you drink one glass of wine a day for a woman and two and no more than that, then the benefits are still more than the damaging effects that you get from the ethanol. But if you get more than that a day, then the ethanol actually becomes more toxic than the benefits from the wine. So coffee, black coffee, all caffeinated beverages other than black coffee and green tea are harmful, particularly sodas. You want to avoid sodas. They're quite toxic and quite inflammatory, increase obesity, even if they're diet sodas. Also avoid artificial sweeteners. The artificial sweeteners have been associated with increased risk of dementia as we age. All right. Very good. We are avoiding COVID by avoiding all kinds of toxins in our bodies. We're doing the best we can here. Number six. Regular sleep, regular exercise, hydration, healthy diet, avoid toxins, and now forgive. Hmm. Forgive people who've actually done you wrong. Grudge holding, 
bitterness, resentment. These are toxic emotions that activate the brain's stress circuitry, causing your body to react as if you're under threat, which causes your adrenal glands to kick out adrenaline and glucocorticoids and stress hormones. And this increases oxidative stress and inflammation. So if you're chronically bitter, resentful, holding grudge, this increases inflammation in your body. Forgiving people and coming to peace turns off the inflammatory cascade and calms the fear circuitry of your brain. That is incredible. The connection between the mind and the body is just everywhere, and you're really underlining it now here. Number seven. Relationship conflict needs to be resolved. So develop healthy relationships. Healthy relationships are protective to us. People who have healthy marriages live longer, have less illness and less diseases than single people. However, Toxic marriages, harmful marriages are actually more damaging than living single. So just being married isn't the deal. It's the quality of the relationship. And so if we're in conflictual relationships, you can see we're in a state of war and a state of defense. We're hyper alert. We're constantly looking for the attack, the assault, whether it's a physical one or a verbal one. Mm -hmm. And this keeps our stress circuitry activated, impairs sleep, increases inflammatory cascades. And all of this will contribute to insulin resistance and increase the risk of diabetes and heart disease and stroke if we stay in chronic, toxic, conflictual relationships. But healthy relationships are actually protective for both physical and mental health. And kids growing up in homes that have a a, a family member they can confide in and trust have better outcomes as adults with less mental health problems than when they grow up in homes that are conflictual. That is amazing. We are hearing 10 steps to a healthier brain. We're at number eight. What's next? Be a giver. Uh, Multiple studies show that people who volunteer, help in their community, give of themselves in some way, have better physical health, lower blood pressure, use less medications, have less disability, stay out of nursing homes longer, and have less dementia uh, as they age than people who don't volunteer. When we volunteer to help others, we activate the brain's love circuitry, the anterior cingulate cortex, and that sends a calming signal down to the brain's fear circuitry, the amygdala, which reduces the activation of our stress response. Mm -hmm. So we have less elevation of stress hormones, we have less inflammation, and we actually age better when we act in love towards others. So be a giver. Help in your community. That is great. Number nine, what do we need to know? Minimize theatrical entertainment. Theatrical entertainment. That's not educational uh, television or educational videos. Educational videos are fine. Theatrical entertainment is all the various shows that people watch for entertainment. And multiple brain science shows that watching theatrical entertainment causes the body to respond vicariously with the same type of emotional reaction as if you were in in the event. So hmm. When you watch a very stressful, say, war movie with a war scene like the Normandy beach landing in Saving Private Ryan, if they were taking blood pressure and stress hormone levels on people during that, they would all be elevated. Heart rate goes up, blood pressure goes up because you're very stressed. And and I think we've all felt that in certain movies. You can feel the stress in your body. You're getting tremulous. You're, you're, you're losing your appetite. In fact, many people uh, during that movie had to stop eating. Some had to leave. Some vomited because it was so stressful. And so when we watch a lot of theatrical entertainment, 
agreement. We are activating the body's stress circuitry and we're increasing inflammation. Children who watch a lot of theatrical entertainment have higher rates of attention problems and uh, distractibility because they don't exercise their prefrontal cortexes normally and they don't develop the complex circuitry that calm them later in life. So theatrical entertainment actually changes our brain in negative ways. And so we want to limit the amount of theatrical entertainment we watch. All right. And number 10. We've done regular sleep, regular exercise, both mental and physical, hydration, healthy diet, avoid toxins, forgive others, develop healthy relationships, give, avoid theatrical entertainment, and then build a relationship with the God of love. Mm. Individuals who have a healthy spirituality where they can trust a benevolent God with all the things in our life we have no control over. We only have control over the decisions we make and governance of ourselves. We can't control what other people think of us. We can't control how the future turns out. We can't control how our kids turn out. There's so much we can't control. We can't control how the surgery is going to turn out. We can't control how the radiation therapy is going to turn out. There's so many things we can't control. And if we have a benevolent God that we can trust and we put our lives in his hands, then we can stop living in fear of what others think and stop living in fear of how things are going to turn out because he has our best interests at heart. And you're saying God of love, benevolent God. I see you emphasizing that. Yes, because if we worship a uh, authoritarian God, a dictator God, a punishing God, that only incites more fear. And brain science actually shows that to be true. People who meditate on a God of love have growth in the love circuits of their brain, and they calm their fear circuits and have less stress. People who worship an authoritarian or punishing God do not have those same positive effects on their brain. And they, in fact, they have more stress, and they will often become more rigid, more authoritarian, more legalistic. And then their relationships become toxic as they begin to see faults in others and criticize others. They often are grudge holders and resentful because they don't forgive until the other person asks for it, which causes more toxicity. So you can see there's an entire relationship between our view of God and how we live in our lives and treat others. And if we don't have a God of love, then we engage in toxic processes that are actually harmful to us. All right, listener, comeandreason.com. You will find this list and so much more, books and television programs and radio shows, Dr. Jennings' blog. It's all there at comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, thank Thank you so much for sharing these 10 steps to a healthier brain. Appreciate it. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. <music>